Good morning to anyone online. Um, if you're here, we welcome you. Um, if you're new this morning, my name is Manny Pollard. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we do things a little bit differently. We rotate in teaching um, when it comes to teaching the Word. We rotate through, or just go verse by verse by Scripture, or in Scripture, and we're in Genesis today, um, Genesis 21, and I actually taught last week um, out of Genesis 20. Um, but before we start, um, you know, I think we've all been here before. Um, you know, one time I sent my wife away with some friends on, on a weekend, um, and, you know, I was like, well, how was your time? And she's like, well, you know, it was really good, but it took all of us, like, a day just to decompress, and then we had, like, 12 hours together, and then we had to come back home. Um, and, and that happens to a lot of us, right, that we have just, like, a quick moment to kind of catch our breaths, and then we get to focus on the thing, um, and then we kind of, we miss out on the opportunity um, of really enjoying where we are at. Um, I just felt led this morning that we, I think it's a, a chance for us to center our hearts and to um, really think about, you know, where we are in this moment, at this time. Some of you can relate. If you're running up these stairs, coming through these doors, and your kids are already 100 yards ahead of you, it can be a little chaotic. Some of you come here with, you know, something else is on your mind. Um, and my prayer this morning is that we could just, we could center our hearts on what God is going to teach us this morning. Um, and so what I've done is I've put some scripture up there, and we're just going to take a second um, to reflect on those scriptures that are going to be scrolling through. You can take some time in prayer. Um, it may be a little awkward, but I promise it's only like two minutes, maybe, okay? Uh, but for yourself, to just reflect, okay, why and what is God trying to teach me this morning? So let's do that. Um, if you'd like to just pray for, with yourself or just read those scriptures, we can do that. Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for who you are and that you care for us and love us. I pray that we would walk away transformed and renewed in heart by your word. God, we thank you that we could come and just be in community and show love toward one another, those that are weary and broken. God, that there's no stronghold 
from the enemy in this place of judgment or shame, but that we get to walk in freedom because of what you did through your son. So we thank you for that, Lord. Pray that we would walk away changed. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we read last week um, in Genesis chapter 20, um, just a quick recap about Abraham and how he lied um, to Abimelech about his, his wife being his sister, that was Sarah, um, and it was a sin toward him, and it was actually fear that drove Abraham, right? And that fear sometimes drives us to sin, okay? Sin, uh, fear is not a sin, but fear can cause us and lead us toward that action, okay? Um, and other things, too, that aren't necessarily sins. Um, but we can be encouraged by that passage last week because regardless of our mistakes and our problems, God enjoys, or even a better term, he delights to show mercy. And that's God's intention for us and for you, um, that it's not dependent on our own righteousness, but his grand plan for us. In spite of what we do, he loves to show that mercy to us. And so that was what was happening last week. Now we get um, to what is somewhat an exciting but anticlimactic time of the birth of Isaac. So let's get your eyes on chapter 21, verse 1. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read the first, it's kind of broken down in three sections in this chapter, so we're going to read the first two sections, the birth of Isaac and then God protecting Hagar and Ishmael, um, and then we'll kind of have some commentary as we read, and then we'll break that down a little bit of what maybe God is pointing out, um, and then we'll address that last little section um, there. So join me as I read from Chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son and who was born to him, and whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old, when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said that Abraham, that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have borne him a son at his old age. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out that slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offering. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. <laughs> when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? 
Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And she said, Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him drink. Sorry, make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with, with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. All right, so there's, there's a few things going on there. Um, and we'll go back to v- verse 1, and you'll notice that, you know, first, um, the story of the birth of Isaac is, is not very dramatic, not a lot happens, but it is a deliverance of a promise from God to Hagar, or sorry, not Hagar, to Sarah, and then most importantly, actually, uh, to God answering the big problem of sin, okay? Um, it is important to realize that he had made a vow to Sarah and Abraham, but it was also had bigger meaning for us today, okay? And then Abraham um, called him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Um, they named him after, you know, when God had said, hey, you're going to have a, a baby, you know, they laughed, right? They, they kind of, well, they laughed more in disbelief than anything, um, and it was because they didn't really know how that was going to be possible because of their age, um, and, you know, they had been trying for years. They actually, so much so that they decided to kind of go on their own and, you know, bring Hagar to Abraham to have another child. So, that, so much so that they, they were kind of confused by what was going on, but God was going to make it possible, so they named him Isaac, son of laughter. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac um, eight days in, and again, this is symbolic between the covenant of the Lord and Abraham and the nation of Israel eventually. Okay? Uh, now he was 100 years old, and Sarah said, God made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Um, you know, she actually is not just laughing anymore of um, disagreement or disbelief, but joy, right? This is a laughing and joy um, and seeing that God has fulfilled his promise. And I think we could all relate that we've been, been there. And so what, one thing we need to recognize and that we can pull from this is that God fulfills his promise. He said it three t- uh, right at the beginning, it says it three times. It says, he said, he promised, and he had spoken. You know, he had, he had followed through through all those things. And if we can imagine, uh, when that promise is made to, to Sarah, a lot happens in between that time. And actually, uh, the, sometimes when we read that narrative, we think that um, she immediately, you know, it has conceived and is having a child. No, it, it's a long time coming, even from that promise from God. So there's a lot of waiting, a lot of patience. It, take, it took some faith from Sarah. And God was affirming that faith. And for, for us, again, along our journey in faith, it takes testing. And as while, while we're being tested, while our faith is being tested, God is still fulfilling his promise. And we can have hope in this. Okay, while our faith is being tested, God's promise is being fulfilled. And that's true for us today. Um, everyone turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 
Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the the best part, right? In all this, you you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth, are greater worth of, than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Okay, so what is happening is in this trial for Sarah, you know, it's, it's molding her, it's, it's mending her to see the heart of God. And you'll see that here in a second in this next story about Hagar and Ishmael. Okay, she's starting to understand this promise is bigger than just her trying to have a child. That it's about salvation. And for us, we can be encouraged too. When we are in trials, he continues to be faithful and will continue to reveal his promises even though they're not yet complete. Again, it's, it, it's not just about Sarah having a child, but it's a, about Isaac being the solution to a big problem, and that's sin in the world. And they're starting to recognize that even more. And thankfully God, you know, delivered on his promise. Um, you know, and so as we live in faith, we have to keep on living though, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are in despair. Um, and I'm sure there were times when Sarah wanted to give up. Um, there were times that she probably wanted to flee. I could almost imagine, you know, as she's kind of being betrayed by Abraham because of his fear, and he's, kind of, he's being selfish, she's like, you know, maybe it is better that I just get all these riches in nice things and I don't have to deal with that anymore. That happens to us a lot of times. The path that we know God has set before us, we have to endure things. We have to persevere through those trials, okay? Um, but this story should remind us to remember his promises. And, and how do we remember those things? We meditate on his word. We return to his word. We have people around us to help us return to his word. Um, I get the honor and privilege um, a lot of the times to, um, I call it facilitate, um, but I get to facilitate weddings. You know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm asked to facilitate weddings, take people through counseling, um, and it's, it's an amazing honor. It's also really scary because you're, you're helping kind of mold the future generations and, and marriages and um, but I get the honor of doing that, and every, every time I make it a point to do a few things, and one of those is to remind them that there's times where you have each other to remind each other of, you know, what you're doing, and sometimes both of you won't know what to do, and what should we return to? It's, it's his word. It's his promises. It's those things in faith. I, remind them, I, I try to remind them to say, hey, we've got to run to the truth. That's why we come here in, on Sunday mornings, to learn more about God and to be reminded of his promise for us. You know, and, and so that's part of meditating on that. Now, for some of us, um, we, get, we get the opportunity to live in homes um, and put up these fancy signs. I actually stole one of them from my house this morning. But, you know, we put signs like this of reminding us to, 
you know, do certain things, you know, to keep the faith and to, um, you know, trust in the Lord that he's our refuge or other things that we could always point, you know, what, what we're doing and how we're living in faith. We have to lean on those promises. Sarah and Abraham, they, they were sojourners, so not, I can't imagine they have a fancy sign like that, but um, we, <laughs> we get the opportunity to, to remind ourselves in, that, in, a, in a space like this or at home, um, but our, our faith will be tested, and we need reminders of hope. This was not intentional but the, the, to correlate, but the, the scriptures that I put up um, this morning, they're reminders of hope for us. Okay? And again, we will, we will be tested. It's, it's a guarantee from Scripture, and I think we all could sit here and say, yeah, I've been tested in some way, okay? And that's where we need to lean on God's promises. And so last part of that, um, and it, as we come together as a church, um, you know, we need to remind each other of that. We, we have, that's why us as leaders, the elders here, we, you know, we are praying daily that we get the opportunity, actually, for, to remind people of God's great promises for us, okay? Uh, we don't take that lightly, and that's why we need to be in his word, that's why we need to be in prayer, that's why we need to be praying for one another that we get the opportunity to even minister to each other in that. Um, and th- this is a fun example, but um, any Ted Lasso fans in the house? Woo, great, yes. Ted Lasso is a great show um, in the sense of, of its great redeeming value of uh, just coaching people and encouraging people um, and, there, and, and if you don't know much about the show, that, that's cool. It's, it's basically about a, a football coach that becomes an English football coach. Um, and he really has no understanding at all about um, soccer, okay? I'm going to stop calling it football. But soccer, um, you know, and basically he, the, the, the greatest gift he brings to the team is, you know, his encouragement. The way he points people back to their truth. Now, it's not biblical truth, but points people back to purpose. And when the first day he shows up um, to this locker room, he has this big yellow poster board. And all it says is belief, right? And he tapes it up on the wall so everyone can see it. Um, and, you know, later on, this team, you know, they're, they're a dysfunctional team. They're, they're always on the ropes. They're losing. Um, they come in at halftime, and there's this one episode uh, where they're, they're really at a loss, right? They're really at a loss of what to do and how to take on this situation. Now, this is a game, right? At the end of the day, no one's going to, you know, die. It's not, but it's, it's a game. It's important to them. And Ted Lasso, he, he literally, he doesn't know how to respond. You know, usually he's quick-witted. He knows exactly what to say. And at this moment, he, he just, he looks at all his guys and he says, guys, what does it say up here? What does it say right behind me? Right? To say, believe. Now, for us, Sometimes we won't have the words. God gives us wisdom and, and ways to share things in discernment, but sometimes we don't have the words. But we can look at the sign and say, what does it say? And that is what Abraham and Sarah are doing all the time. They say, what does his word say? What did, what did God tell us? And he's reminding them of that. And for us, we have the opportunity to to go back to his truth. We have this amazing thing called his word that can remind us of those amazing promises and those things that we get to hold on to. And he knows that it's not always easy, so that's why he reminds us to go back to it.
all right? And so we have that opportunity to remember his promises. We can move on to the Hagar and Ishmael story as God um, protects them. And there's just a few things I want to unpack here than the main point there. But, you know, and the child grew and he was weaned. Um, you know, traditionally weaning someone, meaning, you know, they're no longer feeding uh, from their mom, but they are uh, starting to become more independent is a three-year process, okay? It's, uh, traditionally in that time. And, and Abraham made a great feast on that day um, that, that Isaac was weaned. Uh, imagine if we threw a celebration like that, other than saying, praise the Lord, we're done with that stage of life, <laughs> right? So, but, you know, again, they're, they're having a huge celebration. They make a big deal out of it. And here, here's something that has changed, right? But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that is Ishmael, who she had born to Abraham, um, she saw that he was laughing. Okay, This is not the same joyous laughter uh, that was going on. This actually was um, like a mocking, uh, making fun of. Um, and at this time, Ishmael, when Isaac was born, was probably 15 years old. Okay, 15, 16, 17. But at that time, after he was weaned, 17, 18 years old or so. And so he had grown up with Isaac around him. And you can imagine being, you know, this one heir to Abraham, and all of a sudden Isaac comes in the picture and he gets all the attention. They're, they're throwing a celebration of all things. And most would just say, well, Isaac, or Ishmael is such a terrible guy. I think it's a reflection of kind of the attitude of Hagar. Being around Hagar, you know, is a reflection of kind of the disdain in, in the way in which they started to look at Isaac and mocked him. Actually, Paul, it, later on, will open this up in Galatians, towards the end of Galatians 4.29, says that um, Isaac was being persecuted. Okay? And that was a, a correlation to what Ishmael was doing, was starting to, to sp kind of spread seeds of doubt and mocking him. And if, we, if anyone's ever been mocked, it's not a great feeling. right? Anyone that has actually repented from mocking someone, that doesn't feel great either. Okay, so mocking is just a very immature thing to do, although we think it's clever and funny. It's, it's not the way the Lord intended it for us. And so, again, he, he's mocking him. Um, and so Sarah has made mistakes in her life, but she, again, she's starting to get this understanding of what God is doing and says, something is not right here, and I need to do something about it. And it's not just so much being a mama bear over her child more than it is to protect the promise of what God is doing. That is, that is kind of what the, the tension here of what's going on. And so she tells Abraham, and Abraham is, is distraught, right? It says, um, it was very displeasing. You might have a different uh, translation, but it says, very displeasing to Abraham. Okay, well, we, we could all imagine that. You, you have your one son that you're, you're proud of, you're proud to have, um, but you are having to be obedient because your wife says, hey, you need to, they need to go. I don't know about you, and I'm probably like one of not many, but I have a hard time telling, you know, solicitors at my door to get away, let alone my oldest son, or my eldest son, right? Some of you be like, oh, that solicitor, they can just go, go, okay? But, you know, like, they come, I'm like, uh, I don't really want to buy anything, but I'll keep talking to you, right? So, but Abraham is having to deal with this dilemma of, of, being obedient, because right here it says, but God said to Abraham, that's verse 12, 
Be not displeased because of the boy, or because of the boy, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says for you to do, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay, so he's like he's, again, he's bringing him back, reminding him of the promise. Okay, and he also says, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna make a great nation for Ishmael and this woman. So I'm not gonna forget them, which we see in this account in a second. But he's got to remind Abraham, that, and, and there's some angst there, but I'll just tell you that this was, this was a result of Sarah and, Ish, or sorry, Sarah and Abraham making a decision on their own behalf, not really going in the direction of God's will, but making it their own, and he's having to deal with this unintended consequence, which, which could be difficult for all of us, all right? Um, so Abraham sent them on their way, uh, they departed, and then we have this story where um, Ishmael and Hagar are on their way. Essentially, they, she's hiding them under the bushes because they've ran out of everything. Their rations have run out. Abraham didn't give them enough. Um, and that was probably not intentional. They just had been wandering for a good while. And you see this story, though, where God is faithful to protect them, to hold his promise, okay? And so sometimes when you realize that we, we may not be... Um, we always feel like we're connected to this big story. Well, God, God still cares for those that are not connected to this big, you know, calling and purpose. And a good example would be, I have people come to me all the time, well, well, I'm not a pastor, so what is the point? The point is, is that he uses all of us intentionally, and he cares about you intentionally. Not everyone is meant to do the same things. If we're all doing the same things, then we miss out on, on the really good pleasures of life. Okay, and so... Again, this is what God has just continued to show them and um, be faithful in. One thing you'll notice also, again, why I kind of think that this was a reflection of, sorry, Ishmael's poor behavior was a reflection of Hagar, um, is later on, it says, that, uh, verse 17 says, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What troubles you? Fear not, for God heard, heard the voice of the boy, okay? Not Hagar's voice, but the voice of the boy. Um, and it, it was really that God was having mercy because, you know, of his character, he was going to rescue them. But not so much of Hagar's merit, um, but probably a learning lesson for her to know how great God is, all right? And so here is one of the big tension points, right? We don't love, it doesn't sound very fair, fair of why um, Sarah and Abraham would kick uh, Ishmael and Hagar out, okay? Um, but Sarah is, again, discerning something. She's discerning that something, if, if he stays here, it may not end well, like a Cain and Abel type situation eventually. And so she, t she has this intuition, and she says, they got to go. Um, and actually, um, Paul addresses this in Romans. It's verse 9, uh, sorry, chapter 9, verse 6 through 9. I'll just read it to you. It says, but it is not though the word of, the, of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Okay, this is pointing out something, the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, and Sarah is seeing that for obvious reasons for herself, but for us to understand, um, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Okay, so... The one that is not of Abraham's offspring spiritually is Ishmael, okay? 
the one that is, it says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is why it's time back. It's time back to that, this occurrence that's happening for them. Okay? This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of God, sorry, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah should have a son. That promise was made from God. He did a miracle. One caveat to that, some people, some scholars will argue that um, Sarah had a you know, miraculous um, conception. That is, that's actually not true that she and Abraham conceived normally, and you know, that this was not a, like a type of Jesus in that sense. And so a lot of them will make that correlation, but it's, it's not. This was God opening her womb and allowing her to conceive and have a child. Okay? That was the miracle that happened, um, but that was a promise from God where the correlation is Abraham and Sarah kind of plotted together that she said, hey, you go take one of your servants, Hagar, and I, that's the way you're going to have a child, which was a fleshly decision, okay? And God still redeemed them in that. Now, everyone turn to Galatians 4, 21 through 29. All right, so this, this is uh, best descriptive. And what basically is happening is Paul is, is having an a allegory, okay? He's uh, re- revealing something about the differences between the two, okay? Um, and in Galatians, what is Paul doing? He is um, actually reminding everyone that the way you are justified in Christ is, is not by your works of righteousness, but by faith, and you're justified in, by faith in Christ, okay? So he's reminding him of that, and this is where he brings up this story that uh, relates with the thing that we've been reading in Genesis. Verse 21 says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Okay, that was the decision that they decided to make, a fleshly decision. While the son of the free woman was born through what? A promise. A promise from God. Now, this may be interpreted as allegorically. Um, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and that is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman, uh, sorry, O barren, one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the ones who has a husband. Verse 28 says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Okay, he's reminding them again, not of your works, but of promise of what God was trying to redeem. Just as the, the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of slave, but of free woman. Okay? So we are free because of what Christ 
did. We have two covenants. We have one of the flesh, and we have one of freedom, and that is living in the Spirit, and that is by faith, okay? That's what they're, try- they're trying to point out, by faith, okay? And, and so one thing, our life, when we live by the flesh, we saw it last week when um, Abraham decided to live in, by the flesh of lying and kind of watching out for himself. Um, when we live under the flesh, we do not get to receive God's blessing, Okay, we don't get to receive God's blessing, but it's through the freedom of, of the Spirit and what Christ had done that we get to live in that freedom. And there are unintended consequences that, with that, so we, we experience them all the time. And so Ishmael um, and Hagar, again, we, I had talked about how there are, con- these, there are consequences of the living flesh, right? Um, that Hagar, or sorry, there's a lot of names in here. Abraham and Sarah decided to make a fleshly decision for themselves, okay? Um, and you'll notice, though, that God was still gracious toward them, um, but they still had to live with some consequences. Even after Isaac was born, it, was, it actually came up a little bit more. Now, some of us have probably made decisions where we still, we are forgiven, we are free, but we still have to deal with those unintended consequences. But God is faithful to, to work through them. And, and so, you know, uh, there's been many times in my life where I've put my foot in my mouth, right? Um, and sometimes me and this other individual might be able to work through those things. And sometimes we can't. Or, there, are, you know, in my work life, um, one time I, I had basically said something insulting, and it, and it broke this trust. Man, and that person forgave me, but it broke trust, and it was never, the relationship was never the same again. And I'm sure some of us can relate. And again, but thankfully, God is gracious. And, he, and he's showing grace to Hagar and Ishmael in this. And he showed grace to Abraham and Sarah as well. But it doesn't mean that those consequences weren't painful. But he understands those things. Um, and I'm going to read... A quick example from um, Hebrews 1 through 12 that, that God talks about how he still works with us in our mistakes and our shortcomings. And that's Hebrews 12, um, 1 through 12. And I might read through 15 because I like to read a little bit longer. But um, there, there are a little bit differences, uh, big differences between what's happening in 1 Peter where there are a lot of trials, but then for us, like how do we deal with our, our own sin where we come to the end, like I caused this problem which can be a trial, but um, there can be a lot of things to it. So it says in verse 12, or sorry, chapter 12, verse 1 through 12, um, maybe a little more, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is sealed at the right, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that they may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one 
he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'm going to stop there for a second. Listen, we don't like you know, being addressed with our sin. We don't, it's, it's not within our nature, okay? It can be painful. But it, this is a reminder, again, of his promise that he is faithful to, to, for, for our good to work through our sin. Past sins are current. Um, sometimes those things continue to come um, before us. Verse 7, it says, It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Okay, a good reminder that when he disciplines you, that is an act of love. We don't like it, but we, and we want to run from it and say that's not loving. That's what our society does, right? They say, well, you've got to be kind. And sometimes discipline is exactly, that is kindness. Amen. That could be hard, but it is kindness. If there's any small children in the room, it's kindness. <laughs> any adults in the room, it's kindness. If you are left without discipline in which all, all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the Spirit? Again, living freely to live. Verse 10, for they, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we share in his holiness. Okay? This discipline, this enduring that Abraham and Sarah are having to endure is, is for goodness, for holiness, for his promise. And, and we get the same opportunity. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, quick, quick back to my little thing. You know, I learned a lot from some of the things that I said, okay? The way that I hurt someone. Um, and it was for, for, for me to to grow, to be more like Christ. That is your opportunity to say, if, I, if right now you were saying, man, I'm having a really hard time working through some of the things that I've done to someone in the past or something that I said, and I can't like shake it. A great place to start is to say, okay, God, like, what does your word say? And what, like, what do you want me to learn from this so I can be more like Christ? Last week, we talked about how Peter denied Jesus, and, that, and it was a sin, and Jesus was kind and came back to him and said, you learned something from this. Actually, I'm going to use you for even greater purpose. A lot of times we discount ourselves and say, well, it's over. It's not true. He says there's more to it than that. We're trained by it. Verse 12 says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is laying may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and it may, many become defiled. Okay, so it is, it is our duty as followers of Jesus to, to help you know, people endure through their trials of sin or pain, but to do it graciously. See to it that that we are able to get, uh, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. If you have bitterness in your heart, like ask God to work on you in that bitterness. Usually we're bitter because someone did something towards us, right? We don't, we don't want to hold on to that. And 
Sarah is, Sarah was bitter, Hagar was bitter, there's, there's a lot going on, but they're seeing, again, God's freedom in that. He continues to guide us against our flesh and to live freely in the Spirit. Now, how does one live in the Spirit instead of flesh? And it, it can be difficult, but Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It takes denying your flesh. Paul talks about it all the time. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, like, reading through Genesis, I mean, it's painful, man. It's, it can be confusing, but there's some things that are just really obvious. And thank goodness for Paul and him, him talking about this, of, you know, you have the choice to live by flesh or to live in the Spirit. And the way we live in the Spirit is to deny ourselves and to lay that before Christ. Right? And that, and that, can, be, that can be hard. That's why we have each other. Again, that's why we have those Ted Lasso moments where we say, hey, look at the sign. Look and see what it says. I'm going to invite the, the worship team up. Um, just we're going to read verse 22 through 34 of Genesis. And this, this part um, seems like an afterthought, by the way, um, but it's actually a pretty important transition because um, what has happened is God, you know, he promised a few things, okay? The first thing he promised was a, a faithful seed, and that was Isaac, okay? He promised that he would bring Isaac to be um, the kind of just help solve the problems um, eventually through Jesus, okay? But um, to kind of start that off. So what happened? In this part of chapter, or verse 1 of 21, you know, Isaac comes, just as God had promised. That's why I kind of call it anticlimactic, because it was, you're like, oh, he's here, and that's it, right? And so now we have this next transition where um, now Abraham is, is helping us get towards the promised land, okay, the promise of the future nations. And so uh, we'll be uh, looking at that. So let's look at 22 through 34. It says, At this time, um, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Remember last time, um, Abimelech is a little caught off guard that this man is a prophet that just lied to him, but he surrenders that and they um, continue to move on. Um, and he says, Now therefore swear, verse 23, to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, he was kind to him. Um, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And, and Abraham said, I will swear that. Um, remember, he, Abimelech is pretty frustrated that Abraham lied. And he said, why would you do this to me? And um, he sees God's um, favor and, and ultimately uh, the way that God had healed his, the women in his nation. And so uh, that's him just acknowledging that God is truly with you. And then when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Um, that's kind of interesting because Abimelech, you know, leaders like that knew everything that was going on. But so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Okay, so they made promises to one another. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of flock apart. 
And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, and this, is, this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Okay? Um, that, therefore, that, that place was called Beersheba, because they're both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander in his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham's, Abraham planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned for many days in the lands of the Philistines. Um, and we know the Philistines, they're not nice people, but he continues to journey on and he continues to lead his, or live his life, okay? And it just shows that God is still with his people and Abraham continues to walk in faith and live in that promise. Even though he already received one promise, now he's on to the next. John 3.16, we know that verse, right? Um, but I love actually going on to 17 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay. Abraham, you know, made this oath and this covenant and he planted a tree and then he, he called it there in the name of the Lord and he said, you're the everlasting God, okay, eternal. And he continued to walk in faith. And it says, uh, verse 17 of John 3, 16 and 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but in order that the world might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Okay, remember, this is a spiritual promise in saying if you give up your flesh, if you can see the difference between living a fleshly life and to live you know, in a free life in the Spirit, you will inherit that promise and have eternal life with God who cares for us, right? And so, you know, this is a call for us to say, man, God, I need to surrender the things that, that, are, that I make about me, my fleshly decisions, and to lean on your promises and know that you care. Typically, if you're new, we respond through taking communion and prayer and joyful giving. And um, after like one song, we play a song and then we do that. Uh, we're, we're just going to actually take the whole time to respond in worship by taking communion and praying. But I want to invite anyone here that, that says, I don't want to live in the flesh any longer. Man, come, come up and I'll be on, on the side and I'll pray with you. But that is something that, that God has to do in your heart. And that is something you have to decide and say, I don't want to live that fleshly life anymore. I want to live in freedom. And so we're going to uh, worship. Um, we do have opportunity for anyone that um, proclaims Christ to take communion um, on the sides. Uh, joyful giving is another declaration of saying, I'm surrendering the things of this world and that I want, I want God to know that like, I am his. Um, and then, of course, prayer. Anyone here is glad to pray with you if you just want to tap on someone's shoulder. But we have, I think, someone from the women's ministry by the, the cry room, prayer room door that would be glad to pray with you. I'll be sitting over here. But we would love to continue to just bring what we have to God as an offering.
in prayer and in worship. And so let's do that together.